Are you tired of undercharging, over-delivering, and overworking? Well, I have some good news for you. I put together a free course for women web designers who want to make more money without overworking. Just go to webdesigneracademy.com forward slash free course or click on the link in the show notes of this episode to get instant access. And since you love podcasts, when you sign up, you'll have the option to get the entire free course instantly in a podcast feed so that you can listen on the go. So if it feels like you've been working 24-7 but not making as much as you want, go get that free course right now at webdesigneracademy.com forward slash free course. Welcome to The Profitable Web Designer, a podcast for web designers who want to work less and make more money. I'm your host, Shannon Mattern, founder of The Web Designer Academy, where we've helped hundreds of web designers stop undercharging, overworking, and create profitable, sustainable web design businesses. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Profitable Web Designer Podcast. And I am so thrilled to have today's guest here on the show. She is someone that I met like way, way, way back in the day. In when I was teaching like marketing to DIYers, and we met in a coffee shop here in Columbus, Ohio, and like worked on all of the things. And she is actually a web designer for nonprofits. Her name is Andrea Shirey of One Nine Design, and she's like the best student ever, you guys, because way back in the day. When we were like working together, I taught her how to market her web design business. And she reached out to me just a couple weeks ago using like one of the frameworks and like that I taught people when they're pitching and pitched me for this podcast. And I'm like, uh, yes, it's a yes. And your pitch was amazing. And I was so proud. So, Andrea, welcome <laughs> to the Profitable Web Designer Podcast. Thank you. <laughs> No better way to get on a podcast, right, than to use what the person taught you. (laughs) (laughs) I've used that pitch so many times. It always works. (laughs) Ah, so good. Awesome. So I would love for you to give our listeners a little history of your business journey. How did you get started doing web design for nonprofits? Okay. Yeah. Let's dive in. I I love telling this story because it's definitely not a linear line. I mean, when are they, right? But (laughs) So I started in the professional workforce. I started in higher ed fundraising at my alma mater, West Virginia University. I know we've got like this Ohio State WVU (laughs) thing going on here, but (laughs) so I started with annual fund fundraising. And that is really where I learned the art of relationships. I think that is the core of what goes back to the thread that weaves through all of the positions I've held. That kind of led me to corporate development, some grant writing work, those kind of things all within the higher ed space. And then eventually I moved into a more like traditional grassroots nonprofit experience. And so I led several nonprofits as executive director and it was just kind of time for that phase to come to an end in my life. I had little kids. Anybody who's worked in the nonprofit space knows that that is a high demand, low paying, never ending job. I know <laughs> you know from your your background with nonprofits what that's like. Yep. And I needed I needed a mental health break. I didn't realize how unhealthy I was at the time. It's like you could look back and look at yourself and like I don't even know how I was doing that. I was a, a mom to two boys, trying to be a wife, trying to do all the things and work full time. And I, I have such respect for people that can figure that out and do that long term. Because about you know fifteen years in, I thought I have to do something different. So thankfully, my situation was flexible enough where my husband said, "Okay, let's." think outside the box, you know, what do you want to do? And I really could do some soul searching. And what had happened during my last couple years with the United Way nonprofit and my community is I had been working with our nonprofits to teach them how to fundraise, right? And how to do communications and all those kind of things. But it seemed like the conversations always came back to their website. We don't have a website. Our website doesn't work. Or we spent $10,000 to get this website built and we don't have access to it. Or I don't know how to update it. 
all of these barriers to what they were trying to do in communications were website related. So I spent a big chunk of my last couple of years in the nonprofit world helping people navigate that. At the same time, as again, as you probably know, every marketing job, even fundraising job, it seemed like the website was like always just kind of thrown in your corner, right? It's like, oh yeah, that's like the that's the default is like give it to somebody who knows what marketing is, right? So I had a little bit of experience with that. But those last couple of years really opened my eyes. So as I was going through that sort of soul searching of what am I going to do in the next phase of my career, I thought, you know, maybe I could just help nonprofits kind of like as a side hustle, right? Maybe I wasn't interested in launching a business. I had no idea that there would be a demand for that, even in my area. I thought, this is great. I know the nonprofit world. I know the website design space. Let me combine the two. And see if maybe, and we still laugh, the husband and I laugh at this all the time, maybe like one nonprofit a month might be interested in hiring me. And if I could maybe make like $10,000 a year, that would help. And it'd give me some, this, all this flexibility. That was kind of like the pipe dream. And we're like, well, let's see what happens. Well, <laughs> obviously now I'm kind of staring down the pipeline of a six-figure website design business, seven years into a full-fledged business. So it was just this perfect matchup of my background, experience, you know, my ability to have relationship building, marketing experience. I just kind of... I mean, I really have the dream job that I can weave all those things I enjoy together and, and it turned into a great business. So... I am so thrilled to hear where you are now because... When did we meet? Do you remember what year it was? Oh, gosh. I meant to look it up and I want to say it's been four, about four years ago. That sounds so, about right. 2018, 2019. Definitely. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah. And I was, you know, in like that winter point, of 2018. Things, if I'm thinking it was about it correctly. winter. Because you were here yeah. in Columbus I, shopping. <laughs> yes, I was Christmas shopping. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. And I was, you know, it was like at that time I had clients, but it was just starting to be like, okay, am I going to really go all in on this thing or am I just going to keep kind of playing around with it? And I know, you know, a lot of people have to do that while working full time. So I was so grateful that I had time and space to be a good student <laughs> and soak it up. And I will get to this later on, but like, I'm glad that I just finally found one person, which was you to like steer me. I I spent way too many time, you know, way too much time listening, all these voices, all these different ideas. And when I finally honed in and said, okay, I'm going to take one path and really make this work. That was the turning point. When we met, I just vibed with you so much because I was like, oh, I understand your the world that you're in. Like I used to work in that space and I just really connected with you and I could tell how much you cared about the missions of the organizations that you work with and how you could really see the solution to all of their problems and a lot of the experience and things that you brought. Because, you know, I remember us talking about like, Yes, it's website and it's these other pieces that nonprofits struggle with. And you were really having this full 360 degree picture of like how you could serve and support them. And it was just really, I just remember being so inspired by your like excitement for what you were doing. So we meet and you joined this program, doesn't exist anymore, but it was the Website Marketing Lab. And do you remember like, what your path was from there as you started like implementing that process inside of that program? Yeah, I do because <laughs> I had a lot of folks that were in that kind of like cohort at the same time I joined. Mm -hmm. They were earlier on in the process than me. I was, I already had clients. Some of them were trying to find their first client and I was yeah. a little bit, I had to kind of kind of pull some of the pieces of the program together, but I I was resourceful in that way. And I feel like that's something that I encourage other people to do when they buy courses or they join a coaching program and those kind of things. Sometimes you have to you have to look at that program and say, like, okay, maybe not every single piece is for me, but if I can pull this piece and this piece together and make it fit, it makes such a difference, right? It's like what you put into it. 
And for me at the time, I was trying to remember today, I should have looked it up, like how much it costs. And it's probably like to some people, it's still a lot of money. Then now it wouldn't be for me, but then it was a big leap. I was like, oh my gosh. And I had never, because I built my own website, I kind of came into it with all these skill sets. I didn't have a lot of investment in the business, but what that did was like, it put stakes on the table. It was like, okay, I'm going all in on this. If I'm going to pay this money, I'm going to get every ounce of this. I think I was on every Facebook call, every thread, you know, soaking up everything you had to say. So, but you asked me what the the pieces that really laid out the path for me. And the big one was the lead magnet piece because- I had these clients from word of mouth. I'd worked with enough nonprofits in my community that people knew of me. I had, they had to kind of learn the new me, right? The me in this role of one nine design. But I was so limited geographically until I really had something to draw those nonprofits in. So I kind of soaked up that whole piece on the free, you know, the freebie factory, I think it was called, if if I'm writing. And I had all my stuff in a binder. And I mean, I went through that thing step by step by step to get all of the pieces in place to find something that would attract people to just to say like, hey, I know my stuff. Maybe you don't need a website right now, but here are all the resources. At that time, I already had a blog going with some great content. So that was definitely, I think, the first piece that kind of put me on that path. Yeah, we've like packaged all of that part up and we put it inside the Web Designer Academy now as like a module. And it's like we call it like one to many marketing in that module. And it's so funny that you say like it was so much money back then. And it was to me too. Like I felt like I was like that price felt like so seriously heavy and important. And I really just wanted to make sure that you know, everybody showed who showed like who invested in that, like got what they came for. And I laugh now because like I'm charging so much more than that. But I feel the same way about like you had stake in it and I had stake in it as well. And I think that that's part of it where it's like that mutual, that reciprocation, whether my stake was, my stake didn't have to be time. And we talk about like scalable revenue in terms of web design business. But my stake was like as committed to your success as you were. And I think that that's what really makes a collaboration like that really, really work well. And I was just like, I'm still on your email list. Like I still see every email (laughs) that you said. I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Protesting your freebie. I'm like, oh, there's Andrea with her nonprofit resources. That's cool. It's giving me. That's awesome. Like I'm on your list still to this day because I just like to see, see what you're up to. But yeah. So Sorry, I got a little sidetracked there, but yeah, that's okay. You created a lead magnet and you started like using that to like build relationships and just kind of start connecting with people who could potentially become your clients. What was the journey from that to now today where you're like six-figure web design business whereas my husband and I were like maybe we'll make $10,000 <laughs> like what was that progression like? <laughs> yeah. Well, I have I have an interesting take on lead magnets because I had gone through this process first with you in the website marketing lab of what is that going to be? And everyone, of course, is doing checklists and ebooks. And I wasn't all in on like, I was never somebody who wanted to do a, like a webinar and the whole like launch craziness stuff. And so I really wanted something that felt authentic to the nonprofit space, but I wanted them, as I think you used to say, like, it's got to solve one problem right now. It's got to be quick. And we literally, I think I have the piece of paper somewhere in my files. We kind of talked about all these ideas and I said, I think they need some kind of template. I think they need something that they're spending their time on every day anyway, or you know, a big chunk, big chunk of their time on. And it could just be a really quick win for them. And so I kind of went back to the drawing board and boards are like right, such an integral part of nonprofit management, right? Like you're always either recruiting a board member, you're working with your current board members, you're trying to get them to show up to a meeting, you're trying to communicate with them. 
And so out of the website marketing lab came my first real successful lead magnet, which was called the board report template. And it literally was start. I mean, it's a little more complicated now, but in many ways, it has a lot of the same elements as it did four years ago of a Google Doc that someone can download. They can fill in you know, kind of customize it to their nonprofit, but it is a template so that they can share a board report with their board at the at the meeting every month that their board will actually listen to and be interested in. And it's a different approach for what you would find if you, you know, your standard, you know, here are the minutes, the treasurer's report, committee reports, all this kind of thing. This is boring, board members tune out, it doesn't work. But I did something a little bit different as a test and I charged money for it. And you told us lead magnets don't have to be free. And I thought, well, there's a concept for you. And so I had the ability to test, right? To I had some time to play around with what worked and what didn't. And so I thought, I'm going to put like a really no-brainer price on this. I'm going to make it $9. It's just a easy. If, if you want it, $9 is no big deal. If you don't, fine, right? I wasn't out anything. And I did a blog post that went along with the the freebie and it really exactly told you what to put in the board report. But then I kind of, you know, at the end said like, if you don't want to create it yourself, here's a template you can get. It's nine bucks. It started selling like from day one. And I was like, oh my God, this actually works. And so I was, and I love email marketing. Email and blog have always been my two big focuses in my business. I don't do I have a social media presence. It's not, I've never, I don't think I've ever gotten a client from social media, but I'm pretty consistent with blogging and I've been very consistent with email marketing over the years. And so as those people came onto my email list, I was making money adding to my list. We had this challenge. I remember back then to get to a thousand subscribers. That was like the big email goal. I meant like, I don't know, $4,000 sounds crazy, but I remember like every week updating my dashboard to see how many subscribers I had. And not only was I getting subscribers, but they were paying me to get on my email list, which was bonkers. And so that paid lead magnet started this shift where the business kind of started to take two directions. I still had my web design clients. I was still building that business, figuring out all those things we have to figure out as web designers. But also I had this like little burgeoning idea of what if I had a template shop? What if there was another template I could create? And I got this kind of momentum because I was like, well, if they want that, my computer was full of things I had created as a nonprofit director that saved me time. And I started refining those. And just one by one, I would put out a new template and I would email my list about it and say, you know, you might be interested in this corporate sponsorship template to help you get corporate sponsors and make a better impression. And then by the way, here's how to integrate what you're sending to your corporate partners with your website. And here's how to use your website to grow, you know, so they were always in tandem with each other. So long story short, the $9 lead magnet turned into a full-blown nonprofit template shop, which today is a nonprofit template library that is making me almost as much money as my web design clients. It's not passive. I don't believe in passive income. There's no such thing as passive income in my book, but it certainly it certainly turns on its own. There's obviously a content marketing that's generating leads for the almost all of my leads for the library come from organic marketing like this, doing podcast or blogging. And then those people are on my email list. And if you, you can still buy, I will always, always, always forever sell the board report for $9 because it's like this little like homage to the, my, my <laughs> roots. So you can still just buy that one template. But most people, of course, buy the entire library. It's a whole Google Drive of templates. And I get emails every day. You said something about like, me being inspiring, but I'm inspired by the nonprofits that find me and the work they're doing. And I still, I get those like sales notifications and I'll go and look up their website. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't know how many gifts I've made to nonprofits who've bought the library because I'm inspired by the work they're doing. And then they email me back and say, oh my gosh, I use this template and I landed this corporate sponsorship and they give me ideas for new templates to add. So it's just been this really cool thing that I would never have dreamed would have come from this lead magnet, right? Marketing all the way to now it's an integral part of my business. I love that story so <laughs> much. And I think what is really interesting is 
the topic of niching down, right? Mm -hmm. People come into the Web Designer Academy and they're like, I have to choose a niche. And you really like built this business as a natural extension of something that you were already doing, you were already really passionate about. It wasn't this like forced thing. You're like, I have all of this experience and intellectual property that I've created over the years. And I know what these people need. And it was just really a natural stepping stone into what you're doing. And I say that to say that like, you certainly do not have to have a niche to have a successful web design business. We have so many web designers in our program that work with all kinds of clients. They're specific on like the types, but not necessarily the industry. And so mm-hmm. I used to be like, you must niche down in order to be successful as a web designer. But the way that you have approached that is like, how can I serve this niche in so many different ways that still feeds like I have a scalable offer. I don't call it passive income anymore either. It's like it's scalable Mm -hmm. offer. And then I have a service-based offer and all of these pieces work together in this ecosystem to serve people at different points and different needs in their business journey. And I just think it's like such a brilliant use of your background and your expertise. Well, Thank you. It is, I mean, I think we all want to gravitate to something we know, but I'll just add that I think I agree that a niche isn't always like the end all be all. And sometimes the niche can be your own mindset, the way that you do business. So in my community, I kind of give a little bit of shade to what I call the tech bros in our community, because we have a couple of really big IT firms that are very talented people that work there, their process is very different than mine. And I have built plenty of small business websites. You know, sometimes it's just connections or maybe the nonprofit uh, board member says like, oh my gosh, I own XYZ company. Could you do mine? And if it's a good fit, I may consider taking that as well. But, but your niche can also be your own process. I, you know, I'm somebody who believes in empowering the client and training them to use their own website. I don't charge monthly maintenance fees. Once I build it, I turn it over. I train you how to use it and it's yours. And if you want me to help you in the future, I will, but you're not tied to me. And that is a niche of it of itself as well. So I think that's something important for people to remember that if you don't want to just work with hair salons, that's fine. But can you have a process that's yours that you own and that people know you for that process? And I'm kind of known here as like somebody who isn't going to hold your hand if you don't want me to hold your hand, right? I'm going to train you, empower you, teach you as much as, you know, give you all the resources I can. And then if you need to come back to me, great. And if not, then go on your way and I'm on to the next client. It's a terrible business model in terms of recurring revenue, but (laughs) that's what the scalable offers are for. (laughs) Well, and it's like for your clients with the type of business that they have too, it's like, you're not going to hold them hostage either. And, you know, I think that that's another, another thing that I used to see in the space was just like, no one knew after all the volunteers turned over, like who was the person whose son's nephew (laughs) like built the website for them. And that was always, (laughs) that was always a thing. So I want to pivot to what you reached out to me today to talk about, which is accessibility. Can you share with me like when in your journey did you embark upon learning about that and what that work has led to now? Yeah, it's it's really it's really become this it's like I'm having recall back to the beginnings of the template shop and what that was at the beginning and I feel like I'm kind of back at that stage now with something else. And it's definitely a little bit of regret that I didn't get there sooner, um trying to get over that and just do better going forward. It's like they say, you know, if you know better, do better. And so that's kind of where I am. But basically, early last year, I kind of had this aha moment. Um, someone very close to me 
he was trying to navigate a website and trying to find information on a website. And I was helping him. And the website was just really poorly designed. It was just, it was just one of those sites that was just hard to find things. It was cluttered. There was no white space. The navigation was kind of a mess. There was side navigation and top navigation. It was just all over the place. And I was trying to kind of let him do the driving right to find this kind of a learning exercise. And I was seeing how much he was struggling. I couldn't really understand it. I could see what he needed to click on. He just couldn't see it at all. And I kind of had this moment after, I think it was like later that night or the next day, I was like, he. I started putting together the pieces that his cognitive challenges, um, one of which is ADHD and some other things there, were preventing him from accessing this website the way it was intended to be accessed. He doesn't have a physical disability, but he definitely has, you know, some cognitive challenges that were exacerbated by the way this website was displayed. And I'm sure that was not the person who built that website was not their intention. They would want everybody to be able to use it. And so, of course, it got me thinking about my own website, about the websites I design. And so I started just doing some research around website accessibility and digital accessibility in general. And I was just floored. I was floored at the number of people who are impacted by this challenge. I was floored about the lack of resources that were easy to understand. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are thousands of websites out there that talk to you about website accessibility and about 90% of them, your eyes start to gloss over and you're like, I am not understanding this. And so that kind of led for me doing my own research and I was kind of piecing together like, oh, I should probably fix this on my site. And I would Google how to fix it and I would fix it. And then I would go on to the next issue and I would figure that out. And really, it took me a couple of months to kind of get in doing it that way. It was very time consuming. But I just had this passion, right? That I could just, just feel like, oh my gosh, there's some people need to do, does everybody else know this? I started asking like my web design friends, like, do you know about this? And they're like, well, I've kind of heard about it, but I don't know. It seems confusing. And I think you just put this widget on your site, get to that. <laughs> so anyway, that led me to going through a certification program, a university called DQ University, and they are kind of a leading provider of digital accessibility training so I got certified in website accessibility. It's about a five-month process. It was very expensive. It was very time-intensive, but it was really what I wanted to do for me. That was my intention at the time. I just want to I want to know this. I feel like it's my responsibility. If I'm putting digital content into the world, I should be responsible for making sure that everybody can access it. And so I started then implementing it on every new website that I was building for clients and kind of slowly teaching them the basics. Oh, this is why I did this. This is why I need to know the name of this image, those kind of things. And now about, I guess it's been about 15 months later, I realized that, oh my gosh, web designers want to know this information. They want somebody to give it to them in a format that's easy to understand that they can immediately implement and they're not going to get bogged down by the jargon and the rules and the laws and all those kind of things. It's helpful to know those things, but we're talking about almost one in four people have some kind of accessibility challenge, which means if you're not doing this on your website, you're missing potential customers. You're missing potential donors if your website isn't easy to use and isn't accessible. So kind of led me to create this kind of when I'm calling an essentials course, because you know it's not comprehensive in that it's not what I did, right? It's not a certification program, but it's formatted in a way from one web designer to another that I think will make the most sense, will be the most digestible. And then I kind of put together this notion dashboard with it. It's got a glossary that has a little checklist that you can use when you're building a site for yourself or for a client. So you can make sure that you're learning those things and implementing those as you go. So it's been it's been a great process. I, I've learned so much. I'm continuing to learn. I'm not an expert, but I feel like I know enough to teach those who are coming up in this. And, and I wish somebody, I, I regret that I didn't do this from day one because I've probably excluded someone at some point along the way unintentionally. I just am so glad that you're making a course about this or that you've made a course about this and that it's for web designers yeah. <laughs> because I'm thinking back to the free five-day website challenge 
And I didn't even talk about accessibility until the last version of the challenge. And even then, it was like, this is something that I know we're supposed to be doing, but I don't really have a full mm. like sense of what it is. Same experience as you where I'm like, okay, I can figure out complex technical things. I'm going to go research this. And I'm just like, how it was explained was in a technical way that I would have to like, just take a go get certified to really fully understand <laughs> like what all of this is. And so I'm like, I gave resources and like, here's where you can go learn about it. It's something to consider. But like, I really felt kind of like how you did where it's just like, I feel like I should be a better steward of this than I'm being. And, you know, we don't do the five day website challenge anymore. But we hosted the Simply Profitable Designer Summit last year, and I'm, and I had someone come in and speak about that for designers last year because I do think it's one of these places where it's like, we all know we want to do better. <laughs> we don't all right. necessarily it's not, it's not have... a lack of will, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not a lack of will. It's not that everybody can go spend five months to get certified and all of these things. And I'm just so glad that you are putting together or that you've put together this training for web designers because it's going to like, when you're confident that they're like you're doing right by your clients and their audience <laughs> members and that you're yes. checking all of the boxes, it just changes your self-concept in terms of like how you show up as an expert in your business and your like building things that the majority of people can actually use, <laughs> which is, you know, exactly. what we're all here for. Right, right. So and I tell think we, me, I go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think we get caught up in this is really hard. I'm just going to like kind of ignore this or I'm going to put this widget on the site that says it'll make the site accessible. And when there are actually some pretty simple things that you can do, it's not all, it might be technically difficult to read on someone else's website to try to understand, but in practice, making your site ex as, as accessible as possible, it, you can't do it overnight. You just do what you can do as you go. And I've learned, you know, one of the biggest tips I could give is for folks, once you've put some effort into it, I don't recommend that you do this from day one, because then it's you're not being authentic, but including an accessibility statement on your website that's very honest and it says, listen, I have tried the best I can. Here's what I've done. Here are the guidelines that I've followed. If I have missed something, please reach out to me. I would be more than happy to accommodate you and sending you additional materials. Or if there's something I can do to improve my site, please let me know. I think that is one of the biggest immediate steps people can do once you've tried to fix things. I don't recommend that you just put that up there and you haven't tried anything, obviously, but even if you can go through and fix your headers or fix some images or, you know, make sure you have captions on videos, those kind of things, and take those initial steps, that, that statement goes a long way. So tell me when someone's going to embark upon this, like what are the first few steps that they would take to like audit? a website for accessibility? Yeah, great question. So there is a free Chrome plugin that, and I, I can make this available outside of the course as well. So but, but it's it's a Chrome plugin. So there, you know, just my, my course does include instructions on how to install it and how to use it. But it's basically a free plugin that you can put on your browser and then any website that you have open, you go in, open that extension, and it's going to flag the major errors. That's really the easiest place to start. It's a little scary because when you get all those errors back though, you're maybe not going to know what they mean, right? And so that's where the course kind of comes in. It helps you walk through, okay, if you get this kind of error, this is what we're talking about. Here's how to correct it. So, but it is one of those steps you could do just to kind of see where you are, right? But, it, you know, it kind of, We'll list, let's talk about maybe the top five mistakes that people are making because I think that is a good place to start in terms of evaluating your For own sure. site. So 
the probably the top mistake people are making are using their headers incorrectly. So what I mean by that is, right, we have an H1 that kind of tells everybody on the site, everybody using the site, here's what this page is about. It has a lot of purposes. You know, we're using it for SEO, we're using it for Google, we're tell- using it for our audience, but you're only supposed to have one of those, right? And a lot of sites, we're trying to make them look pretty. We want them to look, you know, really well designed. And sometimes you've got four or five H1s on the page. Well, what happens is a screen reader, when someone's using a screen reader, the first thing they're going to read after the page title is the heading one. And if you have five of them, they're not really going to get a sense of what the page is about because chances are you're just using them stylistically. You're not using them to really tell somebody what your content is about. So one of the easiest things you can do is just go into your website platform and make sure that you have one H1 and it's at the top of the page. And you also don't want to have a bunch of heading-like text that's not coded as a heading. So if you're just making text big just to make it look pretty or design-wise, that is likely to confuse somebody, not with a screen reader, but somebody that might have cognitive challenges. So that's like right out of the gate. Like everyone can do that. That's as much technical information as you need is what I just gave you. So hopefully that's a really, really easy first step. Color contrast is another big one that's pretty easy to fix. So if you have, you know, there was a trend for a while, and I don't know if it's still a trend, but it's a trend for a while that all the sites were like minimal and they were muted colors and the fonts were like this really tiny, thin font and it was so hard to read. If your color contrast isn't meeting those contrast ratios, people with visual accessibility challenges, they can't read it. They literally can't see it. And so making sure that, your background, you color versus your font text and weight, that there's plenty of contrast there. There's a, a nice little tool you can go on. You can put in the color of your background and your foreground, and it'll tell you right there if it meets the ratios or not. So we'll have that link on a page we'll talk about later. Naming your images and including alt text. Again, for somebody for whatever reason can't see the image their screen reader is going to read them the alt text. And if that is a bunch of garbly gook that you uploaded from your iPhone photo, that's a big string of numbers and then IMG at the end, that doesn't help anybody. So those are things that are really easy, quick fixes. Maybe it might take you a couple hours if you have a really big site. But if you just went through and fixed your headings, your color contrast, and your images, you would be making your site more accessible immediately. And then the last thing I'll just mention are video. So a lot of websites, you land on them and there's that autoplay video, right? And you're like, oh my God, where's the sound coming from? You're trying to turn it off. And that's like one of my pet peeves when I go to a website. That's highly inaccessible. If someone is navigating without a mouse, just using a keyboard and they can't figure out... First of all, if they're using a screen reader, they're going to be hear their screen reader and the video at the same time. So nothing is going to be able to be heard correctly. And they're going to have to use their keyboard to turn the video off. And so you never want to use autoplay. Obviously, captions, there are some guidelines for when you need captions and when you don't, when you need a transcript. That can get a little more nitty gritty. But if you're using a lot of video and transcripts, you're probably at the level where you need to understand those things too. So those are just some of the high level mistakes that I see a lot when I'm doing audit. I do audits for accessibility now. And so those are probably a few of the top ones that I see. And I think that's a great, those are a great place to start because it, like I said, it doesn't require a lot of more technical knowledge to go in and fix some of those. I love the simple breakdown that you just gave for that. (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine how simple it is in the course that you've created for web designers. So what compelled you to put all of this together for other web designers? I mean, you can take this information that you learned from your certification and just go. And I'm sure in the nonprofit space, accessibility is probably required for... I was just thinking like them getting grants for their website or just certain things is probably like a huge value add just to the the space that you're in in different ways than it would be to outside of like, let's just make the internet accessible to everybody, you know, right for your clients (laughs) to be like, oh, and to get these grants and these things, we have to meet these requirements. 
What compelled you to put this together for other web designers? Well, it's been a little bit of a leap because having a nonprofit as a niche, I went through this phase where I was like, when I was building the nonprofit template shop, trying to figure out what that, what that, what was that other scalable offer I was going to have aside from the web design services. And I knew from day one, it was not a course. I had tried a couple of little mini courses for nonprofits and I realized really quickly, nonprofit directors do not have time to sit behind a computer and take a course. That's why the templates are magic for them. And so I always kind of had this whole of, I think I have a good style in terms of explaining things. I love the technology piece. I know you and I share that. Like I am all about all things tech. I love learning a new platform. I've signed up for every course platform out there at one point or another and played around with them. And so I have that in me, that willingness to teach, but it was never for my audience. And so this is a brand new audience for me. And it's kind of a gamble if I'm being honest. I don't have a big follow. Web designers don't follow me, right? Nonprofit leaders follow me. Um, you know, small business owners, people who need a website, but web designers are not my audience. But when I went through this process, I just realized. Like you said, who has time for that? I made time for it because it was personally important to me, but I saw this huge gap in the market because there are other people doing this training and it's going to cost $5,000 or it's going to take three months or it's a show up live every Tuesday for two hours. And it's so in-depth that people are probably just going to burn out on it. So I think it's always been a skill set for me to be able to take information and synthesize it, right? To turn it back around. You have to do that a lot in the web design business. You have to be able to, because your client doesn't want to sit there and listen to you talk about headings and subheadings and why we need paragraph one over here. They don't want to hear that. They want this really simple explanation of actually I had to lay out the page this way because X, Y, and Z. So I thought, okay, can it was almost a test for myself. Can I take all of this knowledge that I have? And I had like a hundred plus, hundred plus page Google Doc of notes from the course that in the certification program. Can I synthesize this into some really bite-sized modules and give people enough information to make a difference? Like I said, I'm not an expert. I'm not somebody who's going to, and I have like all these legal disclaimers, of course, because this is an area rife with lawsuits and legal challenges and all those kind of things. But I just had the belief in myself that I know enough that I can teach somebody that's one step or two steps behind me how to get in this space and, and be confident and know enough to say to a client, here's what I've done. Here's an accessibility statement that we recommend, you know, that I'm putting on your website. And here's a resource if you'd like to go further, right? I think that basic step moves us all forward. It doesn't accomplish the goal, doesn't make the internet accessible, but our small little corner of the world, maybe we can do this one client at a time. Ah, so good. And I'm so glad you reached out to me because you said, I don't have a web designer audience. I don't have web designers that follow me, but you know how to build an audience for (laughs) an offer that you have that you're really passionate about. And that is through relationships. And that goes for every web designer listening to this podcast. What we teach inside of our program is that you get clients through relationships. You get clients through providing value first. you giving before asking. All of these concepts that you use to build the nonprofit side of your business and now you're using to really have this bigger impact on the web design space as a whole through your accessibility course. So I am honored to be one of the people to help you spread the word and help you build your web designer audience. I'm so glad that you reached out to me. Can you tell our listeners more about where they can find the course and get their hands on it and start implementing some of these things in their businesses? Of course. Well, thank you for giving me the platform and the space to talk to it. It's like, I said, I don't have that following, but I immediately thought, I know who does. And I know that the folks that you're teaching and you're, I see, likewise, see all of your emails and see the testimonials and, and your students, 
I'm assuming they're like these sponges like I was. They want to soak up this information and they want to start the right way. And hopefully I can catch some of them before they're too far down the road. It, so it can be overwhelming, right? It can be a little bit, you're, especially if you're starting out. I've never been somebody who believes you had to go to college to be a graphic designer or to do this professionally. I think you can absolutely teach yourself and learn and grow and get better. But there is a time that we step back and say, okay, what do I not know? How do we lead with curiosity here and say, you know, what do I not know? Where do I need to bring in somebody who is even just one or two steps ahead of me to share this information with me? So, so thank you for letting me do that. And I, I don't want to forget to say there's a lot of benefit to the client and not just when it comes to accessibility. I saw a stat today that said that companies without accessible sites are losing $6.9 billion a year to competitors whose sites are accessible. And I was like, well, if that doesn't convince somebody that accessibility is a big deal, I don't know what it is. And so that could be you as a web designer losing out to another web designer who does have an accessible website, or it could be the fact that you're talking to your potential clients and saying, hey, I have a basic knowledge of this, and here are the five basics that I'm going to use as I build your site. So there, there's an advantage to everybody. It's better for your SEO because Google's going to display sites that are accessible over those that aren't obviously competitive advantage and people are going to have a better experience when they're on your website because they can find things and it's easy to navigate and it's not overwhelming. So anyway, I could go on. I won't go on about that forever. So what I did was I created a page for your listeners on my website to make it easy. So if they go to one nine design.net, that's all spelled out slash WDA, they'll have a link to the course and a discount code there to save 20%. It's pretty inexpensive offer at this point. I'm not really in it to make a lot of money. I just want to be able to share this information with other designers that are getting started or maybe they've, like me, they've been in business more than five years and just really haven't given it the thought they need to. So it's 19design.net slash WDA. And though I'll add some additional resources there, like how to use that Chrome extension and anything that they might need. Amazing. I will link all of that up in the show notes. Andrea, thank you so much for being here and just telling your story and sharing your passion for what you do. Is there any final advice you have for our listeners who are in those early stages of growing their web design business that you would like to leave people with? Oh, that's a good question. I was just talking to somebody else about this piece of advice I got last year on another podcast, kind of in another situation, but I think it applies here. It might work against me a little bit, but <laughs> she said to she said to limit your gurus. And what she meant by that is I think when you're just getting starting out in your business, you're learning something new, there's this tendency to listen to too many voices, right? And you're trying to soak it up. You have great intentions. But if you're following 10 or 12 or 15 business owners and these big agencies, you're going to get conflicting advice because it's not one size fits all for everyone. And there is a space, right? Like we've talked about for learning from somebody, your stages ahead of me when I found you. And that worked really well for me. And now I'm a few stages ahead of other people in accessibility. And, and hopefully I can be a voice for them. But I think my big piece of advice for people just starting out is just to limit the voices that you let in. One, it can kind of keep you from taking action because you can get caught in this learning cycle where you just want to keep learning and learning and learning and you never do it, right? And you're just like, oh, I just need to take one more course. You're spending money, you're spending time and you're letting it cloud like those original goals for yourself. If I had listened to every piece of advice out there, I never would have charged for a lead magnet. That was not what most people were telling you you could do. But I found somebody like you is that like think outside the box a little bit. Maybe, you know, test it out. What's the worst that can happen? And then I'd say limit it to somebody who's where you want to be because there are a lot of agencies at a lot of different sizes. I don't follow business women who have massive agencies with teams of 20 people. That's not where I yeah. want to be. I've decided to be on my own for a reason. That's the way I want it. And so it makes no sense for me to be taking a lot of advice for somebody who's somewhere that I don't want that lifestyle. 
I like my style the way, you know, the way it is. So yeah, I say limit your gurus and I got to give credit where it's due that it's from the, uh, her name's Emily P. Freeman and she has a book called The Next Right Thing. And she always has a really wise piece of advice there, but I've applied it to this. I love that advice so much. And just for me personally, if I am listening to too many people, it's not that I don't know what to do. I get too many ideas and I'm like, oh, I want to try that. I want to try that. I want to try that. And they're all fantastic ideas because there are a lot of brilliant, smart people out there. And then I spread my focus and then I'm not entirely sure which thing is working and that that's a really easy way to burn out because the thing that I tell my students is like, they'll come to me and say, well, what about this strategy for proposals or what about this? I'm like, any one of them will work. Any one of these will work. If you're confident in it, if you believe in it, this is what we teach here. And you just have to pick what feels good to you and just put your blinders on and go all in on that thing. Because if you can focus that's when you'll get traction. It's not about finding the right thing. It's about focusing on something and moving forward with that. So I love that advice so, so much. And it's so good. Whenever I'm like listening to too many people, my progress just kind of grinds to a halt. So for sure. So (laughs) good. So where can everybody go to connect with you online and learn more about you? I'm going to link up that 19design.net forward slash WDA in the show notes, but where else can people go to connect with you? Yeah, that's probably the best place to find me. I am active okay. on social media. I'm not a not a huge. I, I'm sort of hanging on to my Facebook page. I'm not, and I every week I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this. No one is seeing this, but I can't <laughs> kind of let it go. But I I do have a Facebook page for One Nine Design. I think if you just search on Facebook, you could find that. Then I'm also on LinkedIn, <laughs> and I'd love to connect with other website designers on LinkedIn. So it's just Andrea Shirey on there, and I think there's a link to that on my website. So I'd love to hear from web designers on there about accessibility questions or any questions they have around that. Amazing. So everyone go check out that link, get your hands on the course. Andrea, thank you so much for being here. It was really, really fun to catch up with you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I I love the podcast. It's in my my favorites playlist and first one I listen to every week. So... (laughs) Amazing. Well, thanks everyone so much for listening and we'll see you right back here next week. Bye. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.